Good evening. Uh, that's a little harder for me to say because where I attend church and preach, we uh, have Sunday morning service and we just go as long until we get done and then we don't come back at night. So typically, I mess up on Sunday evenings and say good morning. But I, I, I got it down, so good evening and I appreciate that response. Uh, we'll be back in First John again uh, this evening. Uh, I challenge you to turn along with us. It will be up on the screen. Although, as the guys who work the back know that I'm all over the place, and probably the script I gave them, I'm not keeping up with. So, uh, if anything else, you can go, okay, he's messed them up again. So, maybe that'll help you uh, keep focused. I oftentimes have people say, well, brother, I'm sorry I I fell asleep in your sermon, and I always respond, well, at least I know somebody got something out of it. Uh, You know, if that's what you need, and that's what you need tonight, and this is where you're comfortable, and you can rest... I will not hold it against you, okay? Uh, I got a great nap uh, this afternoon. There are times where uh, Whitney will come to me and she says, you're going to take a nap today. And I say, yes, ma'am, because that's how you get along, right? Uh, And so that's what I did, and I had a great nap and and rested well. Uh, For those of you that may not have been here this morning, I'm coming right out of football camp. Uh, We had a camp that started on Friday at 5.30. We stayed the night at the school, went through 8.30 p.m., last night and so uh just now uh catching up on that and then of course we'll start school this coming week and i'll be right back behind the eight ball but uh i'm so thankful uh when when the elders reached out to me to speak at first i said well you know i can't come on monday tuesday and wednesday because we'll be starting football practice and and i thought boy i'd missed an opportunity when they uh, called me back and said we'd still like you to come sunday i was super excited it's a tremendous uh blessing to be back out in what I like to refer to up there in Tennessee as God's country. I am from God's country. Uh, You know, when you're in the hospital and and you don't know if you'll get to see home again, it sure is nice to come out and touch the grass, green, green grass of home as the song goes. And so a tremendous, tremendous blessing to be here. Uh, This evening as, as we continue and we talk about this fellowship, as we've talked about all day long, and if you're just joining us, we're going to talk about living in fellowship, and we'll be in First John chapter 5 uh, to begin with, although I'm going to reference here in our introduction, First John 4, verse 4. There are two foundations that are talked about uh, in the book of First John, and, and to a large degree, they sound very elementary, like, well, you know, maybe, well, we knew that, Travis, tell us something we didn't know, but the more and more I study Scripture the more and more I think growing up that a lot of things that were of the mature nature, we kind of treated them like elementary teachings. And really it's the other way around. There are things that we get caught up on, we get hung up on that are really elementary and may not even mean that much going forward. And I believe the more mature things that Paul discusses is the idea of how to love each other, how to show mercy not only just on a Sunday when we're together, together, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. How do people see God in your life? How do they see God in your journey? How do we see God in our journey? And so as we live in the fellowship, these two foundations are God is light and God is love. God is light. And God is love. This morning we referenced Acts chapter 17 where Paul says that we all have 
grumbled and crawled on the ground in the dark trying to find the right way. And then God sent His Son to show us the right way. I don't know about you, and uh, my Uncle Ronald probably can attest to this, that he had to show me multiple times how to tie a tie. Right? And, and I finally figured it out. And when I figured it out, you know what I did? I tied all my ties, and I probably haven't tried to tie them since. Right? But I am a person that somebody has to show me over and over and over again. Whitney's here. She can attest to that. I have to be shown, not only told, but I have to be shown. Uh, For you guys that don't need instructions, I'm the reason instructions come with everything. Because I can mess it up very quickly. God is light. And He's light to our dark world because God is love. God is love. My kids have recently reached the age where everything that we say comes with a why. Why? And at some point it always comes down to because I said so. Right? And a lot of my study in Scripture, I tend to get to the point as I get older that I like when God just says, because I said so. But now I'm starting to tell my kids, because I love you. That's why I don't want you to do this. I don't want to have to punish you. As we were at Chili's earlier, I don't want to have to punish you in front of all these people and have somebody call the cops on me, right? I don't want that, but because I love you, I want the best for you. John writes first, John, to these churches because he loves them. He knows there's a right way, there's a wrong way, and even better, a righteous way. Even people who don't know God can find the right way every once in a while, right? What is it? Even a broken watch is right twice a day. But we cannot find the righteous way without God. Jesus tells those people, and I'm talking about regular Joe Schmoes like me and you. On the Sermon on the Mount, he says, If your righteousness does not surpass that of the Pharisees and Sadducees, you will not inherit and enter into the kingdom of God. And everybody there goes, Well, if they can't do it, I can't do it. And Jesus, he didn't say it in such words, basically, that's right. That's why I'm here. Because the only righteousness that we have and truly can have is through Jesus Christ. God is light. And God is love. If you're keeping notes tonight, if you write those two things down and you go home with that in your heart, I've done my job. But we'll expound a little bit anyways, if you'll bear with me. What if we go to God? I've had this conversation. Uh, when those kiddos came to my house, I had a conversation. For those of you that don't know, we, we just uh, finished our adoption a few weeks ago. They were uh, our foster kiddos for two years. And there were moments where I had that open conversation with God. I cannot do this. I cannot get this kid to go to sleep. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. I don't know what to do. And I didn't hear an audible voice, but it might as well have been God saying, but I can. Just get out of the way and let me do my thing here. There are times where we in that journey, we're like, man, we can't do it anymore. We can't, this is too hard. And I tell this all the time, and my wife probably doesn't enjoy me saying this. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. 
And folks, I've had leukemia. Okay? The hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And we go to these training things to keep our license up and in a particular bad moment where we didn't know what was going to happen and we were frustrated and we were mad and upset and we sat beside this older couple that looked like they should have great grandkids by now and I'm talking with this lady and she says, yeah, we've had a thousand foster kids. And I'm sitting there going, can I have your autograph? Because you are a rock star. There are families in this congregation right now that I keep up with via Facebook on what's going on in their life. And I'm just blown away by God's grace and mercy that He's showing those kids through those parents. What an amazing blessing that God shows when we finally say, I can't do this. And then He's free to finally, as we let go of control, to show up and show out. Show up and show out. I just can't love this person. I just can't. We've probably been there before. That's where in 1 John 4, 4, John tells them, he says, He that lives in you is greater than he that is in the world. See, there are a lot of people in the world who are like that video of that dog chasing their tail. They know it's wrong. They might even be scared to call it wrong. But they chase their tail. There are people on social media today who all think they have the answer to these shootings that happen. It's, it's a government this, or it's a society this, or it's a school this, or it's a, it's a people problem. We have a problem, and as long as we refuse to acknowledge the solution, it will continue. It's a, here's the biggest cuss word in society, a sin problem. And as long as it continues to go unchecked, it will only get worse. I'm not shocked by those things. I grieve them. I hate that they happen. But until we are able to call sin, sin, unfortunately, those things will continue. And until the world, the Lord returns and set things right. Now, there's a tremendous opportunity there as well, and we'll unpack that. I can't, but God can. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not what? If, you, if, you don't, if you're not offended by writing in your Bible or highlighting or writing up, that is a wonderful verse. I don't know if you... Most people, you know, if you're looking to... Uh, briskly read the Bible, we typically don't turn to the book of Leviticus, right? Or Numbers. Now, I tend to be kind of a Bible nerd, and I like those first five books pretty well. But generally speaking, if we want to be uplifted, our first one off the top is not Leviticus. Because there's a lot of rules there, and we get lost in it. And if you're like me, I have that attention deficit issue, and I'm like, I get lost and off track. But we live in a new covenant where he says here, my commandments are not burdensome. They're not difficult in understanding them. And they're really not difficult in practice until we make them harder than they have to be. And a lot of times the reason it's harder than it has to be is because we have a process 
And there's this way of going about it. And I'm not saying be reckless. There are ways to do things in a way that's responsible. But it's not burdensome. It's not burdensome. And if it is in your life, if you're saying, they're burdensome to me, then there's something amiss in either the way we teach the gospel or the way in which you understand it. Because to love God is to obey God. At this point, when 1 John was written, and really the New Testament in general, this idea of Gnosticism had begun to grow, or had grown, and the idea there simply put to boil it down into skin and bones, very simplified, you can go study it, you can get deeper into it, but knowledge in their mindset was greater than faith. Knowledge was greater than faith. We have the same problem today, right? We see something, if, if all of science, and this goes to a discussion that I had with some of the barriers one time, and they, they you know, we're in India, I believe, and they're, they're, they asked me the question, you know, if science came out and disproved everything and was in completely flat in the face of everything in the Bible, would you still believe the Bible? It's faith, is it not? How many times in the Old Testament were people asked to do things That didn't make sense. How many times in the New Testament, one that makes me scratch my head, and I say this about every sermon, is when Paul is told, in your weakness, God is made stronger. How is God made stronger? Tell me that one. He says, even when you, as we talked about this morning, confess that you cannot do it, you magnify the power of God. That even in our confession, even when we admit to each other, I cannot do it, it immediately asks the question, then who can? And Paul, here we go, Romans chapter 8 says, God can. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's what I live my life from. Too many of us live our life as though God is holding us over the fire and oh no, I had a bad thought or I did something I shouldn't have done. I'm back in the fire and I've got to find the lighter to climb myself out. God saved you at your worst moment. You're not going to get any worse than you were then. Now I'm not saying once saved, always saved. You absolutely can walk out that door and say, I'm never coming back. I don't believe in this stuff and walk away. Don't misconstrue me. But we've got to start living in the light because we are. Knowledge is wonderful. I love it. I want more Bible knowledge all the time. But if it does not produce in me faith to see past the physical, then what am I doing it for? When we went into the hospital, those kids were going home. We had a judge who told, basically, there's no way these kids are leaving their parents unless they're caught red-handed doing something they shouldn't do. We went to the state senator. We went through everything we thought we could go through to try and get them in the best situation we could. We went in the hospital. We called them and said, hey, listen, we can't take care of them. You've got to either take them somewhere else or let our family take care of them and they'll have to cross state lines. And we sat in the hospital, and I fought leukemia. And God fought our battle for us. When we finally said, we can't do it, you've got to. 
Now, sometimes the answer is no. And that's, as the prayer said, that's not the answer we necessarily want. But a person mere days prior who said, I'm going to fight the state, I'll fight you, and I will go the distance. In mere days, calls us on the phone, says, I believe God wants me to give you these children, and you could have picked me off the floor. But what could I not get past? The knowledge and the data that I had in front of me. And God says, I don't need that to make things happen. In Exodus, he tells the people of Israel, just be still and God's going to fight. Just stand over there and God's going to fight for you. In John, 1 John 5, 4, he talks about living in victory. Are you living in victory tonight? Are you living in victory? Because if you're living in victory, people see that. I get people who come to me, I'm just not as good with words as you are, Travis. I get on one-on-one with people, and I get uncomfortable. I I do this all day long. 14,000 people at CYC acting like a goofball. I've been doing that since my New Hope days. That comes natural. Being a goofball, just that's in my wheelhouse, especially if you give me Ben Hayes. There's a, the, the possibilities are limitless to goofiness. But you get me one-on-one in person, I'll get uncomfortable pretty quick if it gets serious. But even in that, if we live in victory, people will come in droves, not because our preacher's good, not because our singing's amazing, but because of how we live our lives. They are going to want to be a part of that whatever your doctrine looks like. And then when we're solid in our doctrine, they're going to hang around. And if they don't, then they probably need to be somewhere to begin else to begin with. Do we live in victory? For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the what? The world. I'm not shocked when the world acts like the world, y'all. I'm not shocked by it. I'm not shocked if we tell people for generations and generations, hey, you just evolved from a monkey. When I hear I evolved from a monkey, guess what that means? I should get to fling poo like they do, right? Right? You know, I'm not challenging a, a, a student to go and do that, but that's a great question, is it not? How can you enforce any rules on a classroom if you're just a bunch of molecules that just so happen to sling together? Why are there rules right and wrong to begin with? Why should I do any of that stuff? And then we're shocked when one has a girlfriend, and I want that girlfriend, and the best way to get rid of you is to act like that animal that I saw on TV, and what do they do? It's kill or be killed. And then when it happens, we're like, oh, didn't see that coming. Don't be so gullible. I'm not shocked. Once again, I'm not saying that I don't grieve, that it's not sad. It's not something that we should war against. It's not something that we shouldn't love people and try to teach them a better way. But we should not be shocked when the world is the world. But also, we shouldn't be overcome by the world because, and in this victory that has overcome the world is what? Our faith. Our faith. See, it's twofold. Not only do we need to teach what's right, what's righteous, but we need to live in it too. One of the beautiful things about teaching Bible for five hours a day is my facade lasts about ten seconds. 
When I was a youth minister, it was pretty easy, right? I'd just go sit in my office and read some books. Stay away from people long enough, and we'll come together on Wednesday night, and for an hour, I can put it together for you. I can make it look real good, real neat. Sunday, I could do two, three hours. That was a little bit of a stretch, but I could make it. But when you coach a kid and you teach a kid and they're with you for about six hours, seven hours, eight hours a day, it's not long they start poking holes in Travis Creasy. And you can act like they're not there or you can say, hey, I struggle too. You want to struggle together? I oftentimes think of the Christian walk like that scene in Forrest Gump where it starts raining. And he says, hey, you want to lean against each other? so we don't have to sleep in the mud. That's what we're doing here. Every one of us sees the atrocities that happen in the world. And we're grieved by it and we hurt. At least I hope we do. When we come together like this and we live from the victory of God, we're basically saying, hey, if we come together, we don't have to wallow in the mire. And then when we come together, we begin to link together and we can start pulling other folks with us. It's a tremendous blessing to have this victory. Also, one of the teachings that came along with this, and I may not be pronouncing this right, but, but docetism, I'm just taking my best redneck guess. Somebody can inform me if I miss said that. But this belief that Jesus was not physical, uh, or at least he wasn't physical when he went to the cross. That his, in the garden, the, the Spirit of God, this divinity left him. Because think about it. It's hard to think about God dying, right? God being sick. We don't usually think about Jesus getting the flu. Or as I talked about this morning, the rhinovirus, right? Uh, but he took on flesh. And so people had this real difficult time going, how can God, you know, we say 100% man, 100% human. And it's like that mathematically, that once again, going back to that knowledge thing. So they struggled with this. And he says, oh, no, no, he was very much a physical man, and he, he defeated death, and he raised the third day. If he wasn't physical, then that means the physical can't do what he did. And once again, we scratch our heads and we go, math, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And once again, our faith. Finally, this evening, Galatians chapter 6, we... Our scripture reading this morning was from Galatians 6. And as we get ready to tie a little nice bow with our time together, I want you to think I have a healthy fear of missing out. We call that FOMO at our house. I like a good time. I think that's why I like gospel meetings and BBS and camp and CYC. And there's always this next event. If I can get to that, we'll be good, right? And so I have this healthy fear of missing out. And, and I'd love to go all the church services in the world because it would just be awesome to see how they do things and how different and how we react and work together, this worldwide network. Uh, and then I got to see that during my illness, this worldwide network of the church. And can you imagine, and the book of Galatians and these books that are written in churches were read to the assembly Allowed. Can you imagine knowing that the next book written by Paul the Apostle would be read at the next gathering of the saints? And I'll, I'll, I'll bring it to my house. And you decided to go watch the Super Bowl instead. 
Now, obviously, there's some time constraint there, and that doesn't make a lot of sense. But can you imagine getting the Word of God in the midst of persecution and being hated for what you believe and finding a reason to miss it? And yet, what do we do? We make the same choice. And, and you may be sitting there going, Travis, that's ridiculous, that's extreme. But do we? I had some of my old football players here. Man, I had a mix. I mean, I had Fayetteville people. And, and tonight we've got Oakland folks. I had Pine Hill, some Pine Hill folks. I went to church. Man, I had a group. Man, it, was a melt. it was like out of context. Like, whoa. It's like my students when they see me at Walmart. You mean you have a life outside of the school building? And I'm like, I'm exactly, I'm just as shocked as you are that I have life outside of that building because sometimes it doesn't think, seem like it. It was a mixing, melting pot. But I wouldn't miss that. In Galatians chapter 6, he encourages them. He says, in the midst of your hardship, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary. That's one of those direct commands that sometimes we don't look at, right? Because guess what? We can go down the aisle, I can hand the mic, and there's something in your life that causes you to be weary. Because if we're honest, there are things that we worry about. You know what I'll do tonight? I'll go home, I'll lay my head on the pillow, I'll be dead dog tired, and my mind will kick on and go, what kind of ignorant stuff did you say tonight to those people? And I'll ask my wife, did anything I say make any sense? And if I'm not careful, I'll let Satan tell me a bunch of lies. And it'll steal my rest. And the beauty of it is he doesn't give us a direct command without lifting us up to meet the demand. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we'll what? Reap if we do not give up. If we do not give up. There's a lot of things I do for my football guys. And at some point in the season every year, I'll ask my assistant coaches, do you think they ever understand what we do for them? And my encouragement to you as a body here at New Hope, those of you that go to Oakland where I worked for a few years, those of you that go to Jacksonburg who put up with me as a teenager, those that may be from Pine Hill that put up with me, is yes. They do think about it. And they do appreciate it. And my assistant coach looks back at me and he says, you did. You appreciate what your coach did for you, what Ike Fowler did for you at Central High School. So yes, at some point, it'll hit them. So tonight as we close, I want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't ever give up in doing good. For we'll reap. And we have a God who is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And as much as I like your pats on the back and good jobs and handshakes, your reward and your encouragement, as much as I crave them and I love them and welcome them, will pale in comparison to the day that Jesus looks at each one of us and says, come on in. Come on in. I know you. This, morning, this evening, there I almost did it, this evening, 
If you know that that's not the relationship you have, you've not bought in, you've not given your life to Him, you're not living in that victory of salvation, why not make that choice tonight? I I plead with you. I beg with you. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. Or maybe you've tasted that victory and you've allowed yourself, you've allowed Satan to lie to you, you've bought into it, you're tired. And maybe simply you just need somebody to hug you. Sometimes that's all I need is a hug. Simply put, I need somebody to wrap their arms around me and say, I'm here for you. Whatever that need may be, we encourage you to make that known to us. We look forward to the privilege of serving you as we stand, as we sing.